Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Give us our daily bread was an appropriate petition for the Israelites wandering in the wilderness hungry for manna during their 40-year exodus from slavery. As you listen to today's Old Testament scripture, think about what this line means for you and what it means collectively for us as a society. The first reading is Proverbs 38 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And the second reading is from Exodus 16, 1 to 3 and 9 to 18. Manna and quail. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came down and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is a unit of dry measure, for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered more, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. Sound familiar? 
What I didn't realize is that my parents didn't teach me the rest of the prayer. I think they thought that if they taught me the whole prayer, I wouldn't have enough patience to wait before I started eating. But there's two other lines that come into play on this prayer that never crossed my mind and the impact it would have upon how I see God and food until this last week. And again, here's the actual full prayer. God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. By his hands, we must be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer. Traditionally, the prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. When we pray that prayer or prayers like this, it gives us a particular view of God, what God is about. And throughout time, there has been a tendency within human beings to take God and food and bring them together. That ultimately, everything that we have, every food staple that we have, comes from God. That's the belief. But I thought about that this week, and in particular, when I saw this prayer, and I thought, how many people can actually pray this? Give us this day our daily bread. What about that one adult out of eight here in Arizona that is, has this feeling of food insecurity, that they are not sure where their next meal is coming from? What about one in six children here in Arizona that more than likely are going to bed hungry because there's not enough food in the house? The number of people who are experiencing hunger throughout our world, the amount of people that have died because of starvation, the amount of people who have died because of illnesses tied to malnutrition has skyrocketed over the last year and a half because of COVID-19. And yet we in churches say the Lord's Prayer and we say that line, give us this day our daily bread. What in the world are we doing? I mean, if you have a pantry full of food, if you have the money to go out to eat or to buy groceries and supply, go to Sam's Club and buy as much as you can, then yeah, that's a great prayer to pray. But what if you don't? Then what? I think the answer to that question might lie in looking very carefully at the wording of this line of the Lord's Prayer. In order to do that, we're going to take a look at the original text. Very rarely will I share with the congregation the actual original text. 
I used to teach preaching, and one of the things I would tell my students is never mention the Greek or Hebrew unless you can make those that are listening to you feel smart by doing so. But this one line in the Lord's Prayer is one that I believe it is essential to, for if we're going to understand it, that you have a look at what it looks like in the original Greek. So if you'll notice up on the screen, the very top is the Greek text. I'm not even going to read it. But what's interesting is, is when you look at that text, it has a word order to it. Now, in Greek New Testament, there is a typical word order that is very similar to English. Subject, verb, object. In the Lord's Prayer, that's pretty well followed in every single line except this one. Because all of those lines begin with a petition. And therefore, in that verb can also be the subject. What's interesting is this line, the writer intentionally changed the order of the text. It's like German. It's like Spanish. You can move things around because the, the case of that noun is actually given you, and you can identify if it's the object or the subject. So literally, what this text says is the bread of us today or daily give to us today. Now, if you'll notice that the word daily is in blue. And the word that is translated daily is underlined. Now, here's where it gets interesting. That word up there, that word that's underlined in the Greek only appears twice in the entire New Testament. That's it. What makes it even more difficult is that word has not been found in any manuscripts that we have that are that style of Greek from the New Testament era. This is the only two places here in Matthew and in Luke that that word occurs. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, what does it mean? You see, when these individuals were writing in Greek, unfortunately, they didn't leave us a dictionary. So if a word occurs more than once, you can look at the context and say, ah, we think it means this. Or you can look at the roots behind the word and go, ah, now we see this connection. This is what it probably means. But when you get these one-offs, it's a guessing game. That's why, to me, I find it fascinating that people say, well, the Bible says, and I scratch my head and I'm going, ugh, we don't know for sure what the text says because of words like this. In reading this week, in reading how different scholars have tried to understand this word, I believe 
the argument seems to support the idea that it should not be translated daily. It should instead be translated portion. And so if we wanted to look at a reading that is closest to the original text, it would be what you see on the screen. Give us today our daily apportioned bread. Give us today the portion that we need. No more, no less. Now, if that is the text in its closest rendition that we can guess at what the original looked like, then I think it's time that we stopped and asked the questions why certain words were chosen. For example, the word bread. If we take it literally, then bread would mean just a loaf of bread that would be available. And what you would be asking for is the bread for that day. But the word bread is a very figurative term in the Greek New Testament for food in general. So the idea being is give us food. Now what's interesting, another word that appears in there is that the writer didn't choose to use the first person singular pronoun. The writer could have said, give me my bread today. And I wonder how many of us, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that's actually what we have in mind. Give me or my family the food that we need for today. However, the writer chose to use the first person plural, our. Our food. You see, what the writer did was immediately take it from a very self-centered sense of this is what is for me to this is a sense of this is what is ours. And so every time that you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are actually asking for something that is more than just for yourself and those that you know. It is for R. Now, how large you make that R is on you. Is it just your family and friends? Is it your community? Is it your nation? Is it the world? And what the writer then is saying, if that one word is right, then what the writer is asking for in the Lord's Prayer is that each person, each individual, will have the portion that they need for that day. No more, no less. Give us today the food that we need for today. Plain and simple. This idea of an adequate portion is one that is found throughout the Bible. The text that was written, read for us earlier from Proverbs, I'm going to read to you again. And I want you to listen very carefully to how the writer deals with this. In Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, it says the following, Remove me from falsehood and lying. Now, here's the line that I find quite interesting. Give me neither poverty 
nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that is needed. Now that is in the Hebrew text. What happened was, over a period of time, when individuals no longer remembered the Hebrew language, they translated it, a few people that still knew it, translated it into the common language of Greek. And that became known as the Septuagint. This is how those writers translated the Hebrew text when they said the following, Feed me that which is needful and sufficient. You hear this idea of balance? Don't give me a lot of wealth, but don't let me be poor. Give me food, not a lot, not a little, but what I actually need. And the writer goes on and he says, or I shall be full, wealthy, and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or I shall be poor, and steal and profane the name of God. The writer of Proverbs, wisdom literature, says that what you want out of life is just enough to be sufficient for what you need. And this idea has its roots even further back. When you go into the Old Testament in that story in Exodus chapter 16, I personally see that not as a literal story. I see it more as a parable. A parable about how God distributes food to humanity. This is their perception of God. What's amazing in that story is that every day when the man of fell, the leader of the household would go out and gather enough for those in his house. What was interesting is, is if you collected too much, when you went out and measured it out for each person, some of it disappeared. If you gathered too little, according to this parable, then when you put it all together, guess what? There was actually more. This story tells us that there's this line, this balance in life. Not having too much, not having too little. Having the right portion. And even in the New Testament, where we find another parable about food, this one about Jesus and food, is it has Jesus out in the wilderness, out in the mountains, in the plains, we're not sure. And Jesus says, look, these people are hungry. Why don't we give them something to eat? And Jesus' followers say, no, 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 no. There's way too many of them. Just send them home. And instead, the story says that Jesus found some bread and some fish and then it talks four verbs that captured, again, the essence of this idea of having enough. The four verbs, and Jesus took the food. 
and he blessed the food, and he broke the food, and then he gave it to them so that they might give it to others. You take, you bless, you break, and you give. And again, this theme keeps reoccurring again and again, that having enough, not too much, not too little, just the right amount. If that is the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day what is a portion for us. If that is the meaning, then perhaps we ought to quit praying that prayer, that line of it. Because let's be honest, there's enough food today in our world to feed everyone a multitude of times. Even here in America, despite us sending our food to other countries, we still have farmers that are paid not to grow crops because we have too much. So it seems that we don't need to pray this prayer because everyone has more than enough. And yet, why is it that people continue to starve? Why is it just even here in this county there are people dealing with food insecurities, not sure where they're going to find their next meal? Well, is it because we don't care? I don't believe that's the answer. There are massive amounts of food that are given to different peoples throughout the world. Massive amounts. So that doesn't seem to be the problem. Maybe the problem is logistics. We just don't know how to distribute it accurately. I don't think that's the answer either. Look how efficient we are at being able to take food from point A to point B. We know how to distribute food and how to give it to countries that need food. But here's the problem. All that food that we give them in the long run doesn't solve the problem. The problem continues. How many churches have food pantries? How many cities have food pantries? And yet, there continues to be a scarcity of food, or so we think. Lillian Twiddle wrote a book entitled The, food, the Soul and Food. And in there, she says the main reason why we continue to have hunger today, why it is that people don't have the portion of food that they need for the day is a mindset. It's a mindset of scarcity. 
It's a mindset that we bought into. It's a myth that there's just not enough. And the results of that impact our way of thinking about ourselves and others and money. You see, if you believe that there's not enough, then you will believe that there are the haves and the have-nots. That's just the way it works. If you believe there's a scarcity of food and resources, then there will always be those who have enough and there will always be those who don't have enough. And there's nothing we can do about it. But out of that view of scarcity, that the haves and the have-nots, comes this idea that because there is so little, and either you're a have or you're a have-not, then the next idea that arises is, get what you can when you can. Get as much as you can. Store it up. Put it in your bank accounts. Invest it. Make sure your pantry is full. Why? Because you'll never know when you might run out. But this mindset, look what it does to us according to Matthew Gilbert. He says the following in this article, breaking down the scarcity mindset. He says, when we feel that money and goods are scarce, we start to think of our neighbors and fellow citizens as competitors rather than teammates united by our shared humanity. Wow. Yeah, I look at each and every one of you. You're my competition. Right? I want to make sure that you don't take away my stuff. I want to make sure that I have enough so if I run out, I can, if you run out, I might be able to help you, but I will only help you if I know that I have enough. This writer continues, when we believe that the economy is zero sum, we also come to believe that helping another person comes at our own expense. So why in the world vote to increase taxes? Because all that's doing is taking money out of my pocket. Everyone needs to help themselves. There's only so much to go around, folks. You keep what you got. What about raising taxes for education? No, 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 no. I need to make sure I have enough to make it through retirement. I have to make sure that I have enough for that rainy day. And so what happens is we believe that anything we give could actually end up hurting us. But then he doesn't even stop there. He says the following, helping our fellow human beings escape poverty, debt, and misery becomes a disservice to the wealthy rather than an expression of compassion and justice at the foundation of a society of equally free and valued people. I mean, if you tax the 
Well, then why are we going to stop there? They'll eventually come after your money. And they'll give it to the poor. And we know that the poor are lazy. They don't have any drive. That's all the thinking that this scarcity mindset develops within us. And maybe when we pray this prayer, give us the portion that we need for each day, maybe it would begin to change that mindset. That is a message that we have been told over and over in our lives, that there's not enough. Maybe what these early New Testament writers were thinking about was that there is enough. And if we can change our way of thinking, then that will change how we see money and our relationship to money and how we see other people. The next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, I invite you to somewhat pause when you come to this line and use it as an opportunity to kind of examine your own life. Remember what I asked you at the very beginning of church. Do you have enough money? Will you ever have enough? Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.